This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plans FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plansfm.org.nz. Hello again and welcome to the November edition of the Shetland and Orkney Connection. It is presented by Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio, Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month and is repeated on Monday two weeks later at noon. I'm Jan and I have Helen with me today. Unfortunately, Heather was not able to be here today. Now, a few snippets from the island papers. Shetland Times readers have again been invited to enter their photographs for a chance to be featured in next year's calendar. It could be a scenic shot or a spectacular wildlife image. The glossy 2023 calendar will be included free with the newspaper. The chosen images will be printed on the calendar and will grace the walls or offices, kitchens and workshops around the aisles for the next year. Yes, and with luck, some of our relatives might send us one. (laughs) Yes, mind you, the cost of posting a calendar is horrific. It is, isn't it? Mm. Such a shame. A three-month study will seek to understand how hybrid air vehicles, Airlander 10 aircraft, could support sustainable mobility in the region by diversity and boosting connectivity for communities across the highlands and islands. The aircraft runs on helium and electricity and can carry 100 passengers. It derives its lift from a combination of aerodynamic lift, like an aeroplane, lifting gases, like an airship, and vectored thrust, similar to a helicopter. The Airlander 10 could cut flight emissions by up to 90% on short-haul flights. The study will assess the opportunities to operate at nine airport locations taking advantage of the aircraft's water operation capability. The study is supported by the Orkney Island Council. Hmm. I wonder if they're similar to the aircraft that they're talking about trialling off the New Zealand coast. Oh. It's kind of like a hovercraft arrangement. Yes. Hmm, Interesting. Technological advancement. Hmm. Well, once again this month, Orkney and Shetland have been hit with bad weather and many ferry sailings were cancelled. 
The Churchill barriers in Orkney were closed several times and there were some spectacular photographs in the Orcadian of water crashing over the barriers. A bit tricky driving over them and trying to dodge the waves. What is going on in Orkney as they had a second ferry grounding a couple of weeks ago? This time it was the MV Varigan, or Varigan, as she approached Ratness Pier. Thankfully, no one was injured. The vessel has received an inspection to its hull and all crew have been interviewed. It's been confirmed that the findings of the investigation will be made available in due course. Bidding on D.I. Jimmy Perez's signed coat fetched more than £2,700. Jimmy Perez, actor Douglas Henschel, donated the coat after leaving the popular BBC drama Shetland. There were 38 bids made, and the proceeds will go to the Granite Bank Primary School in Glasgow. Hmm, that's good. A call has been made to have seabed cable corridors be put in place around Shetland. This would require at-sea infrastructure cables, such as those from wind turbines, to run along designated routes. The intention would be to avoid incidents such as the internet and phone outages that took place last month, which was believed to have been caused by accidental damage to cables inflicted by a fishing vessel. Cable corridors would help to secure cable networks with fewer locations where cables were crossing the seabed. They have seen the impact in Shetland where subsea cable was damaged and they need to do all they can to avoid a similar situation. That the earliest Norse settlers in Orkney and Shetland found Irish priests in the islands is known from the names of Papa Stour, Papa Little and Papa in Scalloway, Papal in Unst and Yell, and Papal in Barra, Shetland. Also, Papa in Westray and Stronsay, Paplay in South Ronaldsay and in Holm, and Papdale near Kirkwall, Orkney. It has been remarked that the word Papa for priests must have been brought by the Norse. It shows that, contrary to Descent's opinion, the Shetlands were not uninhabited, and that the heathen invaders recognised the priests from the first. The persistence of the names Rinansay, St Ninian's Isle, Enhallow, Holy Isle, and Damsay, St Adamon's Isle in Orkney, and St Ninian's Isle in Shetland, together with the preservation of chapels of early Celtic type, suggests that the priests were not exterminated, in spite of a local tradition in Unst that the Picts fought until only a priest and his son were left, and they perished, refusing to tell the secret of the Heather Ale, as in the Highland story, picturesquely retold by Niall Munro in The Lost Pebrock. Early dedications to Ninian, Columba, Bright and Triduana may have survived the invasion, and it is possible that some of the sculptured stones with ogums may be pre-Norse. Mm, interesting. Mm. A sailor's grave. Poppies grow in Flanders Field over the heads of the brave, but poppies don't cover a sailor's grave, flowers won't grow on a wave. On land there is usually a marker, a cross, a stone or a tree. 
How do you mark a resting place of the ones that are buried at sea? They are no less the fallen than the others that are interred on the land. Though their graves are unadorned, the seamen will understand. They chose to sail the oceans, they knew where the danger lies, and if tragedy ever happens, the sea claims the sailor who dies. Yes, that's rather lovely, isn't it? It is. I wonder who wrote it. I don't know. It's not been Mm. attributed to anyone here. Now, if you've just tuned in, you are listening to the Shetland and Orkney Connection, which is presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The Women's Army Auxiliary Corps was established in 1917 to free up men for frontline service. The jobs women did included cooking, waiting on officers, clerks, telephone operators, storewomen, drivers, printers, bakers and cemetery gardeners. They were based at army bases in Britain and France. In April 1918, in honour of their bravery, it was renamed Queen Mary's Army Auxiliary Corps. The Women's Royal Air Force was formed on the 1st of April 1918, when the RAF was founded. Members of the Women's Royal Naval Service and the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps worked on air stations belonging to the Royal Flying Corps and the Royal Naval Air Service. The work was divided into four sections, clerks and storewomen, household, technical and non-technical. The majority of women were employed as clerks with specialists such as shorthand typists. Women in the technical section included highly skilled trades such as tinsmiths, fitters and welders. The Women's Royal Naval Service was established in 1917. Once again, they freed up men for the frontline service. Jobs included cleaning, cooking and serving food. But weren't they already doing that every day at home? <laughs> well, <laughs> but, now they're getting paid for it, though. Yes, a little bit more recognition. <laughs> but they ended up doing jobs that had been seen as too difficult for women, like telephone operators. A company of the Women's Royal Naval Service was established in Lerwick, enabling some women to participate in auxiliary forces. There were not the same opportunities in Shetland as on mainland Britain to join various auxiliary forces, for example, Women's Army Auxiliary Corps. What was Shetland like before the outbreak of the First World War? The vast majority of the population lived in rural areas and were tied to the land and the seasons through crofting, Islanders still grew, reared or caught a large proportion of their own food. Women and girls did a lot of the farm work and knitted goods to barter at shops for credit so they could then buy goods like sugar. Shetlanders supported the war effort through a number of different activities. A branch of Queen Mary's Needlework Guild was formed in 1914 with organisers and committees being established in each district. Hundreds of Shetland women were involved. The purpose of the guild was to knit and sew garments for soldiers. In total, 15,500 knitted items were made, including 5,638 pairs of socks, 1,925 scarves and 558 jumpers and cardigans. The women received many grateful letters of thanks from servicemen for their garments. Mm. 
The National Egg Collection for the Wounded was another war effort that involved Shetlanders from every parish throughout the period of the war. Eggs were collected from every parish and taken to Lewick. From there they were sent to Aberdeen. The eggs were then distributed to the war wounded in hospitals. In total, over 300,000 eggs were collected throughout the war. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Days were organised where islanders would collect sphagnum moss. The moss was used as an antiseptic surgical dressing and it was washed and dried before being sent to mainland Scotland. Moss days were organised in 1917 and 1918 and in total 5,500 sacks were collected. Children helped with the war effort by collecting both moss and eggs. Boy Scouts and Girl Guides were messengers for the naval base at Lewick in order to free men for other duties. Various organisations such as the Shetland Times and the Lurwick Emergency Organisation, who also held first aid classes in case war wounded were taken to Lurwick, raised money. The Lurwick Emergency Organisation also collected used clothing to give to men and women who had survived their ships being torpedoed in Shetland waters. Money was also raised through national days, such as Flag Day and by people buying war bonds. The official celebration for the end of the war in Lewick occurred on June 30th, 1919, following the signing of the Treaty of Versailles on the 28th of June, 1919. When the war ended, 630 Shetlanders had lost their lives, out of the 3,600 that had gone to serve. Many men who returned had been injured in the war, and although not discussed, there was the emotional and mental impact the war had had on returning servicemen. The prospects for servicemen who returned to Shetland were poor, and many chose to immigrate. The losses were felt in all communities across the Isles, 70% of Shetlanders served in the Royal Navy or as merchant seamen, while the remainder volunteered or were later conscripted into army regiments in Britain, joining the offensive on the Western Front, where trench fighting was the most common and brutal method of combat. As well as taking on the hard work on the croft, ensuring animals were tended, crops grown and peats cut, Shetland women also provided provisions for comfort packages which were sent to troops serving on the front line, those who were wounded and allied prisoners of war. Comfort packages contained non-perishable food items, tobacco and clothing, especially knitted garments such as socks, scarved balaclavas, cardigans and gloves, The most important of these knitted items were socks. Given the filthy conditions facing the men in the trenches, these were most welcome, as having wet feet all the time caused trench foot a constant and painful problem. Mm. Yeah, when you think about it, it's it's terrible to have cold, wet feet. Mm. Thomas Manson, the editor of the Shetland News, said that in this work, the women of Shetland set a magnificent example determined to do all they could to make the lot of sailors and soldiers more comfortable. And I think things during the war would have been similar in Orkney. Yes. Mm. Now we change of pace now. The next piece was written by the Reverend George W. Beard, published in the Orcadian 
in January 2003. After a long, slow journey from Glasgow to Thurso by train, then a ferry across the Pentland Firth, the Reverend Baird arrived at Linus on the Orkney island of Hoy. He was there for two weeks working in the canteen. Then it was on to the island of Flotter, where the Reverend Ronnie Smith was in charge. The following are his memories of his time during the Second World War on the island of Flotter. On Flotter, I hoped to do some studying, for I had three BD exams to sit in September. Alas, for the studies. The endless fatigues. There were no local women helpers as at Linus and Kirkwall. Left one with just enough energy to crawl into bed. A wireless blared the latest hits, and a piano belted them out in the hall. Bless them all, white cliffs of Dover, you are my sunshine, white Christmas, the lot. Most days there was a deafening barrage of shell fire as the gunners drove off German planes. Everything loose clattered about. The balloon barrage kept the jerrys flying high, but over they came regularly to take photos of Scarpa Flow. The Church of Scotland sign was taken for an open door by all and sundry. Service VIPs called in on their rounds. Supply trucks pulled up any hour of the day. There was the constant roar and rattle of military vehicles along the road past the canteen, which was in the centre of the island. Oh, the wind on flutter! It was fun watching men battling along the road and at an angle of 45 degrees. Fun watching a cap sailing off in the breeze. No trees and no hedges there to check the gale. Hmm. Sounds like Wellington. <laughs> Who used our canteen? Soldiers from some nearby barracks. Scots lads, generally. A battalion would do a spell of garrison duty before moving on to the fighting fronts. How browned off the lads got when they left. The boat was overdue, and that could be by six months or more. We got all their grouses. We were more with them than their own padres. In came RAF men from the AC sites, mostly English. Sailors on shore leave to stretch their legs, some playing football. They would breeze in, laughing and chafing. They preferred the Church of Scotland to the NAAFI. More homely-like, better tea also, and a choice of fags. Then some of the local girls might be round. For the most part, the local people kept at a distance coming only to sell their milk and eggs at stiff prices, also their knitted wear, berets, scarves and jumpers. They cursed this invasion of their island by the military, but they did well out of it. On Friday afternoon, the minister, Reverend Bremer, would call for his cigarettes. He was blind and it was fascinating to watch his Alsatian dog leading him along the busy road, pulling him into the side when a truck roared by, but staying between his master and the ditch. At the canteen door, it was quite a ritual, a tap with his stick. We turned the doorknob, then beat a retreat. The dog would lead the padre into the chair already placed for him. Any move by one of us to help him, and the dog would bowl us over. One day, the church moderator paid us a visit. The very Reverend Dr Hutchison Coburn, D.D., accompanied by the top brass. He arrived in full regalia, a tall commanding figure in medieval cape, 
breeches, hosen and buckled shoes, eyes goggled from the canteen windows. But first he came round to the kitchen to meet the staff. After a cup of tea, in our one uncracked cup, the moderator rose. I must have a word with the lads, he said. The counter lid was lifted and he made to go through. Twas then disaster fell. His cape sleeve caught a tray of mugs and swept them to the floor. A visit to remember indeed. On Sunday evening we held a service. Twenty minutes or thereby, caps would come off, fags were nipped, chairs turned round as the hymn was given out. These rough chaps were most reverent. Some had had a narrow brush with death. Some had pals killed. Some would soon be in the firing line. George left Flotter on August the 28th, 1941. Well, here we are at the end of our programme again. Just a quick reminder that Christmas is only four weeks away. Goodness me. Goodness. I'd better get going. (laughs) Keep safe. (laughs) Bye for now. Bye. Bye. 